0: Hello, welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the Rising Digital Leaders Show. You know, I've got this deep discomfort. We're being steamrolled by technology every day. It feels like we're losing our ability to connect with other humans. And guess what? If you can't help and grow others, I'm sorry, I can't call you a leader. This is why I'm so excited to have Lori Zukin join us on today's episode. Lori is the founder and CEO of Zucan Leadership, where she and her team help C-suite executives and frontline leaders navigate their deepest organizational challenges. Her clients include the NFL, Under Armour, NASA, and many more. Leaning on a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology, she also teaches at Georgetown University's leadership coaching program. Prior to founding her own company, she led more than 90 human capital consultants at Booz Allen Hamilton. Today with Lori, we'll cover several topics, including tactically what it means to cultivate your passion and do work that you love. Secondly, Lori talks about a central theme of her work, which involves helping leaders know which role the team needs you to play, coach, facilitator, or consultant. We also drill into the idea of choosing between two career paths, one driven by your head, the other driven by your heart. Lastly, we talk about cultivating more freedom in our lives across work and home life. I know you'll get a lot from this episode. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Rising Digital Leaders Show. I am your host, Matthew Doan. Today's organizations are powered by digital capabilities, cloud, data science, cybersecurity, and much more. To be competitive, we must have tech-savvy leaders steering the ships. But these people don't come out of thin air. We must develop them. This show is for the technical experts of the world, those brave souls that feel unheard and lost in the crowd, but know they were born to lead. We need you to rise, to become impactful digital leaders. In these episodes, we help you undergo a self transformation, developing the mindset and skill set that'll massively enhance your abilities, influence, and career potential. We take a different approach, pulling in lessons from philosophy, psychology, neuroscience, and history to enrich the professional and personal aspects of your life. Thank you for your time please subscribe to The Rising Digital Leaders Show. Now, let's dig in. Lori. Hey, Good to connect with you.
1: You too.
0: So I'm curious. You have a statement that seems to guide how you live your life, how you run your business. It's do what you love, love what you do. What's that all about?
1: So... I would say that word love really does uh, empower me and um, my work with my clients. I feel like if we focus on what we love to do, it helps us to see the world from that lens of positivity and possibility, and it reinforces itself and gives us more of what we love to do. And by that, I mean it opens up the doors that we want to open. So it just, it helps us view the world from that lens. And it leads to another mantra that I have that is love and the bottom line. And I believe that if we bring love into our work and our world, it will affect the bottom line. And this goes to um, when I left Booz Allen, and that's how we met um, after being there for 18 years, I had no idea that I would be where I am now with this business growing as it is. And I just did what I love to do. I really did follow my heart and my passion. I did not have a business plan, Matt. I just spoke with people who I wanted to speak with. I did the work that I love to do, and it really helped me build a positive bottom line. And I hope that I can bring that approach to my clients. There is an aside to this, and I feel like it comes from a position of some um, opportunity that was given to me. And so I don't take that lightly um, at all. And I, I still hope that, um, you know, even people who may not have been able to get a job at a Booz Allen or like that can still have that kind of approach And do what they love, and work hard, and get what they need. And when we when we talk later, hopefully about sort of where I came from, um, and some of the hardships that my parents went through, um, I I can you know sort of talk about the meaning of that and why I want to help people who may not have been able to get the education that I got and work at a Booze Allen like you and I were able to, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah, that really speaks to my heart there. I can't help but think about the idea of passion. And you mentioned that in part of your explanation. And we keep hearing this for years now, follow your passions, pursue your passions. And I keep seeing more and more over life that it's something that we cultivate. It's never something that just we find under a rock, but ultimately, we take a chance on something. And then maybe we end up loving it. And we love doing it to the point where we're loving what we do and it becomes something much more. Uh, how do you view passion in relation to what your mantra is there?
1: Yeah. Well, I love that you said that too, because I don't know that I knew what my passion was until about um, 10, 15 years ago. I mean, I knew I love to work with people and develop people, but until I found coaching, both leadership and team coaching, I don't think I really had a passion and I think that's okay. You have to try and fail and try and fail. And I did finally find it. Um, So uh, I was able to figure out what I love to do, but I don't think also this is a, a, another thing that I learned. um, And by the way, I'm in my fifties. So it took some time is I don't think I slowed down enough to really listen to what I loved to do. And so if I could do it all over again and be in my 30s or 20s, I would pause and slow down um, and really listen to what I love to do instead of being on this, oh my God, I got to make partner. I got to make principal. I got to make a lot of money, et cetera. Um, I think ironically, I could have made more money been happier if I would have slowed down and followed um, my heart.
0: Absolutely. I know you talk about uh, slow down to speed up. That's another great saying I love of yours right now. Uh, If you could talk about you've made this entry into leadership coaching and team coaching, and there's, there's other aspects I'd like you to break down for our audience here. So I see a lot about coaching, consulting, facilitation. Can you just give us the big categories of work that you're doing today so we can have a frame of reference?
1: Great question. So coaching in coaching, um, and and by the way, yeah, I wear all of those hats with my clients, but I I make it very clear when I'm working with my client, which hat I'm wearing. So if I'm coaching, the leader who I'm working with is in charge, right? It is their work. Um, So I tend to, even physically, I'm sitting back when I'm coaching, I'm asking questions to elicit the client's wisdom and listening a lot to how they respond. I'm listening to their patterns. And I might share back in a neutral way, not a judgmental way, not an advice way, what I'm noticing and asking them to reflect back what, they're, what I've said to them. So Matt, I've noticed that you're speaking. Um, you you you've interrupted me five times in our conversation. What what do you notice about that? And you might say, well, I tend to be, you know, really nervous when we talk about this topic of that financial decision I need to make. Okay, would you be willing to talk about it? Right. So I'm I'm trying to be neutral. I'm reflecting back. If I am facilitating in a room. I'm literally, I'm holding the pen. I own the meeting. Uh, I am driving the team through an approach that I've designed to a solution. And then consulting, I have an answer. I might, I'm leaning in more and I have an answer because I've done all of this analysis and I have an answer. With coaching, I don't have the answer you have the answer i'm just helping you to see what it is based on your wisdom and that's similar in team coaching it's the team i'm reflecting back what i've noticed in the team's patterns and um, another example i do interruptions as a pattern but i might also do decision making so a team might start out and say um, we want to decide on whether we're going to hire Matt or Lori for the position. And we're going to do that in for the next 15 minutes. 45 minutes passes. They haven't made a decision. Um, I will reflect back. So you made this commitment to make a decision. What are you noticing? Oh, here we are again. We've discussed 15 topics, etc. I'm helping them to get on the balcony and reflect back to themselves or notice to themselves what um, patterns are occurring to prevent them from making a decision. I'm going to add another hat. I might even put another hat on and do a, a little teach piece and teach them an approach to decision making so that they can move to that decision more quickly in that meeting and the next meeting.
0: Love that breakdown. I can see the three or four big chunks to all of that. And I've seen you operate that way. And I can imagine uh, most teams, most individual leaders these days could use that sort of treatment right from the outside in. Um, I'm curious, though, in this perspective, if you imagine our audience, say, they're uh, midway through their career in a sense. They're like mid-level managers. They're in the technology realm. For a long time they've been rewarded as expert individual contributors like always make the decision they're the ones that keep rising up but then they reach a point where uh, they are leading teams they're responsible for more business-wide outcomes is there a way to embed what you're talking about in their minds so that they can start to operate pick option a or b or c and and help them actually adopt some of what you're talking about
1: yeah, in fact, I was recently working with a client who, um, a senior leader and, and was promoted because of his technical capability and was frustrated with how the team was operating. And, um, I just suggested to him that rather than sharing his frustration, he kind of paused and asked some curious questions of the team. And by doing that, it helped the team. Notice themselves and notice their patterns that weren't as effective. And, and then he could say, what if we tried this? So team, what are you noticing about what's happening here? Oh no, here we are again, doing this, this, and this. Okay, well, what if we tried this approach to decision-making? And that positioned him as more of a leader rather than a complainer. Um, I, did that answer your question, Matt?
0: It does. And, it, and I contrast that to what I see so often is that people rise in the technology realm to positions of quote leadership, but they're not leaders in the way that we would be that they, they would be bringing followers along. They're commanding, they're a dictatorial, and and that's not how you get loyalty. That's not how you get a team at its highest capacity doing what the organization needs. So that idea of knowing when to be the consultant, the coach, the facilitator. All of those are very careful choices that we should be asking ourselves when we have the opportunity. What does the team need, both emotionally, logically? What can I best be for them right now?
1: I agree 100% with that. And um, Matt, you recently posted on LinkedIn about the importance of metacognition, thinking about thinking. And I could not agree more with um, how, if we are thinking about our own thinking as we're interacting with our teams, I would supplement um, being aware of what we're noticing or noticing what we're noticing. Another way I'll, I'll add to that a little bit more is, what do we tend to pay attention to and not pay attention to. That can be so powerful because if we as leaders or aspiring leaders are noticing things in the team dynamics that others aren't noticing, and we can share that noticing in a neutral way, that positions us as a leader no matter what our formal authority is. So notice what you notice, think about what you think about. And that's Heifetz cause that getting on the balcony.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it. And I can only imagine if you're in the room with someone that that is so self-aware and reflective and just lays observations on the table and gets everyone to think more deeply, you can't help but want to stay close to them and want to do work with them and, and eventually be someone that goes wherever they go in their career. So help me back into a little bit of this. So we've got a a good viewpoint, I think, on on some of the work you do. I'd like to unpack some of those transformational type scenarios in a minute. But from your background, Lori, if you could give us a little bit of your origin story. I'm really interested to hear it in, in the utmost detail at this moment. You've hinted at it. So help us understand how you got to where you are.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I grew up in a small town. Well, it was small when I grew up there, Westchester, Pennsylvania. And my dad uh, owned the local drugstore, Thatcher's Pharmacy, and that was before CVS and Rite Aid were big. And we all, and by we, I mean my family, my grandmother, my aunt, we all worked there day in and day out. It's how I paid for college. Um, And it was how I learned about hard work and love and family. Um, We... We are a Jewish family, um, and so because of my dad's focus on hard work and needing to make the money, we kept open on Christmas. And again, that was a time when stores were not open during Christmas, and the whole family just came in, um, traveled from wherever they were, and we worked from 8 in the morning until midnight, all of Christmas week, etc. And we just learned such great uh, values and dedication to both family and work, and also um, a lot about the community. It was a diverse community and um, how to work with just all kinds of conflict and um, you know, work through the conflict. So that's how things started, and I got interested in psychology and team dynamics and business through that. And um, eventually found industrial psychology, got my PhD in that, eventually ended up at Booz Allen, was there for 18 years. I'll say that my first promotion, I was um, rushing to a meeting, like almost running to a meeting, because in my, the story I told myself was, I can't be late to this meeting. It's my first big meeting. And, and someone pulled me, literally, like almost pulled me into his office, and he said, Zukin. Um, this is not the way to start your first meeting. Um, if you look stressed out, what do you think the team is going to say about you? Uh, so I remember that really well. And he said, I think you, sh- you would benefit from coaching. And that changed my life. I got a coach. She recommended I go to Georgetown's coaching program. That was absolutely transformational. And then she also said, you know, I think you You know, you make a good coach, look into team coaching, and here I am now, uh, stayed at Booz Allen for another five years and then started my own business.
0: And starting your own business after 18 years at Booz Allen, that must have been a heck of a decision to arrive at that point. What was it like to, or what was your mental process to say, I'm going to go from a large corporation to running my own shop based on my passion? How did you get through that decision?
1: So, you know, some say, like, how did you just jump into that? And I don't think I really jumped, even though it looks like it was a jump. I think over a few years, it was really about, you know, and through the own coaching work that I did on myself or that I had others do with me, for me, um, I realized it was time for me to, um, to be me and to do more of what I really love to do and be my own boss. Um, As much as I learned at Booz Allen, there are constraints of a large organization. And I I needed to just feel what it was like to do what I wanted to do. I'll never forget a friend just saying, you need to be Lori now. And so as I looked around at other opportunities, I could feel Feel the constraints, like literally feel them in my body of what another organization would look like. And I said, I just have to try this. I have no idea what it's going to look like. No idea. But I'm just going to follow doing what I love to do. And that is coaching people and teaching. I was teaching at Georgetown at the time. And so I had enough of a, a, a foundation while I was at Booz Allen. To um, to start out and pay the bills, thanks to the Georgetown work and one client, um, so it didn't it didn't feel like a jump because I had been thinking about it and I I knew I had to I knew I had to be me at that point.
0: Yeah, so for anyone that's made this jump, I'm sure you have a really stark contrast between previous corporate life and new entrepreneurial life. How would you describe the difference at this point?
1: Yeah. Oh gosh. And it's been five years. So it feels like so long. My life is so different now. Um, so how would I describe the difference? Um, I would say, um, I can be, I can be more picky about how I use my time. Um, I, uh, my husband is my it guy. That's a little different. (laughs) Um, I have a, I have fewer clients that, that I can be more hands-on with. So when I was at booze, I was, you know, in an executive position, but I, I was behind the desk, I'll call it, and not as much with my clients. And that was something I wanted to shift. Uh, So what else has changed? And then just the lifestyle has changed. I I walk several times during the day in between meetings um, and was doing that even before COVID. So a lot more freedom um, to choose my own clients, do my own business development, and connect with a lot of different types of people in different industries um, and, you know, who, who both do coaching and other kinds of industries. So more flexibility is, is I guess, how I'd put it.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You picked up, you made two statements there on flexibility and freedom. Uh, About a week ago, LinkedIn did an analysis of the post-COVID lifestyle that different generations want, whether it's baby boomers on down to Gen Z and everyone in between. And flexibility is the number one thing that people are craving. And when you broke down some of the comments, and this is something I've seen in my coaching practice with some of the digital professionals I work with, This is this idea of more freedom. Now, everyone wants more freedom, right? You feel that over time as you grow and you want different types of freedom, whether it's financial or more flexibility in your work, but I'm seeing this very pronounced uh, uh, demand for it when I'm talking with people one-on-one, and many people don't quite grasp what that could look like, because most of them grow up in the nine to five, it is what it is, I climb the ladder. But I'd say more and more my observations, and I would love your take on this, is that we have more room and flexibility to create freedom. You know, If you have a certain passion or you want to cultivate one, per our comment earlier, there's room on the edges of your day or on your weekends to start packaging that, to let the world know that you're in the business of X or Y. And the more that you can actually start testing that on the side, you don't need to make the full leap that you made. I mean, you had a a lot of background and confidence as much as anyone could have in making that leap. But even someone earlier in their career right now, I think if you started to harness your skills and test them out, whether it's blogging, podcasting like this, YouTube videos, um, even just posting every day on a social media platform or doing one-on-one coaching. There's all these little ways to test out what you're really made of and and what you could be in the future. I'm just really optimistic that our audience, the people that, that you're working with, some of the folks that I coach, could all start to test out what they love and eventually start doing what they love more and more in the future. Given where we are today,
1: Matt, I think you said that so well. And you know, with all of the social media opportunity, like you said, podcasts, etc., there are opportunities to test things. And and by the way, um, perfection it is the enemy of good. So don't wait until it's perfect. Just get it out there, and and it's okay to say I'm I'm working this. add add your ideas to it, please, you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. And um, there's so many people out there that are hungry for new ideas, and for energetic people. And so it's not just about what the thing is, it's about who the person is, is the person a risk taker? Is the person energetic about what they're doing, whatever it is that they're doing? Are they seeking input? Those are the kinds of people who I want to hire on my team. Um, So, yes, I agree 100% just getting ideas out there.
0: I was listening to a podcast actually this morning uh, with James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, and he was describing what it was like before he had 5 million books sold and is the author that we all know him to be and has this newsletter that's over a million people at this point. But he was talking about the reps, putting in like C-plus work at A-plus consistency at whatever it is you want to be known for. And then as you learn, maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Maybe you talk to the world about psychology. Maybe you talk to the world about Um, some coding practices that you want to get out there into the world, whatever it is, test it out for a while, put in the reps, and then you're going to feel something deeply, whether it's resonating and whether it's something you want to keep doing, you're going to feel energy or no energy from it. And and the more that you trust that, I think there's just a lot of testing that we need to put ourselves through in order to see what sorts of freedom we can create for ourselves in our life.
1: So, I'm glad you brought that up because I do feel like there was a time in my life and I meet a lot of people like this who don't put in the reps because they're making a decent amount of money wherever they are and it's fine and it's too hard or painful to slow down and feel that discomfort of, huh, am I really enjoying this? Is this really what I want to be doing? Because that is painful. It can be upsetting to be like, huh, I've been at X organization for 20 years. Am I really enjoying this? But that gets back to this: just slow down, feel it. And then take the time, talk to a coach, talk to a therapist, talk to Matt. <laughs> and think about what you love to do and test it out. Find other people who love it and then eventually go for it. It doesn't have to be jumping into the deep end. It can be it can be walking in the in the shallow end, walking down the steps in the shallow end.
0: Yeah. I love how you put that. And I think something I've recommended to people recently as a book, it's just not a book I would normally recommend in years past, which I think is called The Five Regrets of the Dying. It was done by I think it was a palliative hospice nurse written about 10 years ago, after they had seen so many people in their last moments and kind of built these thematic reviews of what people were saying, the regrets they had. And it was never, ever, I wish I had put more work in in that, in that job I didn't like. It was all more, I can't believe I, I denied my inclinations. I denied myself the risk of, to try something new that I felt strongly about or the time to spend with family and the things that I knew were priorities in life. And it's just, I think wherever you are in life, you have to keep asking yourself this question. Am I doing something that brings me energy? Something that I look back at, hopefully, nice an old age, looking back at life and like, yeah, I'm so glad I made those decisions. I'm glad I took those risks. I'm glad I gave myself a chance at pursuing something that I loved.
1: You got it. That's what it's all about. Great. <laughs> if this year didn't teach us that, I don't, I don't know. I know. About, yeah.
0: So on that note, this year, we are hopefully very much in the back half of COVID at this point, as you're working with leaders and in, in broader organizations at this point, I'm curious, uh, what sorts of traits are you trying to embed into their mind now? Is this any different than in years past, given the massive digital transformation the world's gone through. I would just be curious what are, what's most effective. What are you really trying to achieve in your work today?
1: Yeah, so there's there's two two reactions to that comment. Um, first is are we on the back half? Like we are here because we've gotten our shots, and or most people have. Um, we're going to restaurants. Many of us are quote unquote back to work. Um, And then, you know, I read the paper and only 1% of people in Africa have had a vaccine. And so in some ways, I feel like, are we just back to where we were in March of 2020, where everything feels fine and it's just over in China? So that actually, it I have this both and feeling like, oh, it's great that my sons are back at school and traveling and I'm traveling and we're quote unquote back to work. But are we ignoring that we are a global community? And I don't want to do that. And I don't think our clients should be doing that, nor should we all be doing that. So that's part one of your answer. Um, And part two is that one of the things that I'm sure you're working on with your clients is that so much innovation occurred because it had to. What if we could take that attitude? How much more innovation could have occurred could occur? Um so many large organizations say, "Well, we can't do this or s- things get in the way." But when we had to shift, we shifted. And we did it darn well. Many of my clients are better off now financially because of innovations that they came up with last year. So I want to help my clients rethink what innovation could be if they didn't have to do it, but, but sort of had to.
0: COVID was a forcing function for change. How do you keep a continual forcing function in place so that they're always bettering themselves?
1: Yeah, I mean, we are are more adaptable than we think we are. Last year, we thought, oh my God, how are we gonna do this? And now, how are we all gonna work from home? What are we gonna do? And now we don't wanna, quote unquote, go back to the office. By the way, I've heard some people say, it's not about going back, it's really about going forward to the office. So I kinda like that terminology. But, um, yeah, what can be the forcing function? We are more adaptable. That that would be what yeah. I want to work on with my clients as we move forward.
0: Yeah. And I think the tough thing as you work with leaders is helping them understand what it is that floats to the top as far as priorities. Where are they going to spend that innovation energy? Uh, in years past, especially in tech, I mean... Either you're doing something massively transformational, like moving to the cloud, and that would take years, and it felt like you never had a victory. Or you had these slow incremental changes that never felt like they moved the needle at all, like installing this new version of some um, cyber threat malware tool or some architecture tool. And it's like, no one notices, no one feels like it's a difference. But it's almost like you as a leader, how do you bring purpose more so than ever to the change you're trying to drive and make people feel that energetically so that they have all that motivation when they get up every day to spend their time in their discipline, right? It's like, how do you, uh, we had a great reason to go work from home in the last year, but what's the real reason to change out some software in the future? Unless we connect it to something more overarching, we're really not going to get the outcomes we're seeking.
1: Exactly. Well, I mean, I think that goes back to almost anything uh, and, and goes back to a lot of the work I do with leaders. They're struggling with so many different challenges, but if they don't have their own leadership philosophy, how can they get people to follow them? If, the, if an organization doesn't have its own philosophy or vision, people aren't going to, to follow it.
0: Yeah. It, it makes me think of, of all of Simon Sinek's work. And I know you're you're in the mix of that a little bit these days, right? What what is that type of work? How does it intersect with what you're doing?
1: So the work I'm doing there, thanks for asking about that. I'm actually he does which I think is just an innovation this past year. He's brought in leaders like me to do 90 minute uh, workshops on various leadership topics. So I'm gonna be doing a workshop on communicating more clearly with your teams on how to get what you need and want and, and hold people accountable. And some of it is the simplest things like taking something that is more of a soft ask, like, hey, Matt, it'd be great if you could send me the recording of this next week, which we do all the time in meetings too. Matt, could you please, by Friday at five, send me the recording of this podcast so that I can review it? That's a lot more clear. I'm going to be doing something like that. We're also doing 25 minute um, brief leadership uh, sessions. I think it'll be it'll be announced in August, but quicker ones for for busy folks. So I
0: like that. Yeah, really good nuggets for people to start using today. Right.
1: Yeah, I started doing that with a client last year. They were just too busy for these 90-minute things. And I said, you know what? I think there are three key things I can teach on this specific topic. Let's do it. And we tried it, and it and it worked. Um, so I, I talked to, to the team at Cynic, and and they like that idea. So we're going to play with that.
0: Communicate in tweets, always and everywhere.
1: Yeah, That's and great. by the way, I do not think leadership can be done in 25 or 90 I- minutes. However, I think there are tips that you can learn. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And those stack and they compound and transform you from one person into another over time, but it's more digestible in the moment. Yeah. Great. I've got a few rapid fire questions for you. Are you game?
1: I'm game.
0: So I love myth busting. I would ask, is there any just top leadership myth you would like to bust for the world here today?
1: Um, Top leadership myth I would like to bust. Let's see. That leadership is about rank. Um, I don't know if that's a big leadership, but uh, you know, sort of myth. But I, I, I think it's worth talking about a little bit. And if you look at, um, if you look at social network analysis, it's just some great work on really who has the most influence in an organization. And it's not the leaders who the quote unquote leaders who have a position of authority. It's that person who connects with a person in HR, and a person in BD, and a person in consulting, and a person in finance, etc. So I think there's a lot of value at looking at things like social network analysis to see who can have the most influence in the organization. Uh, Another is that the smartest person is really the best leader. There's so much focus, and I catch myself doing this too, on thinking, and having the right answer. And I I believe that if we can add emotions to cognition, that we're going to have much more effective leaders. And another is that there are all these right answers. I think that we can help leaders by transitioning into navigating polarities. And that is thinking about both and instead of either or. So how do we get the best of both a structured and an unstructured organization or centralized and decentralized? There are benefits to both. It's not either or. Or how do I bring both the best of work and personal to the world so both and is something that i think would be helpful rather than this either or mindset
0: yeah don't force the dichotomy for people to choose one side or the other that never ends up well right (laughs) here's another one for you what book have you most gifted in recent years
1: yeah so i want to if it's okay yeah in recent years okay in recent years, um, I'm looking at it right now, I absolutely love um, Maria Kanakova wrote The Biggest Bluff. And it's uh, all about, actually the subtitle is what is the best. It's it's all about noticing yourself. So I'm gonna grab it. You're fine. So Maria Kanakova's book is The Biggest Bluff, How I Learned to Pay Attention master myself and win. She uh, wrote for the New Yorker and left uh, because her passion was to, well, she wanted to learn how to play poker, even though she didn't know there were 52 cards in a deck. And um, she ended up winning a major tournament, but it's her story of how through learning how to play poker, she really learned how to pay attention to herself and master herself and then and then win. And to me, it's about life and it's about coaching and about team coaching. So I use it a lot in my work, so.
0: Yeah, I can see how that'd be a useful storyline to bring into what you do. If you were starting your career right now, what advice would you give yourself?
1: Yeah, and we, we've talked about this earlier. It would be to really get off of the treadmill of life. <laughs> And stop running and walk more slowly and really notice, like pay attention to what really gives me joy, both at work and at home and follow that at an, follow it. Um, Instead of focusing on, Oh, I got to be at this meeting. I got to take this phone call. I got to go to this client thing. I got to do this project because it's going to get me the promotion. I would have left. I mean, there are specific examples I can think of where I made a choice to be at work because of being on the treadmill. I would have gotten off the treadmill and made different choices to do what I love to do, whether it was to be with family or to coach someone or to teach at Georgetown, um, instead of worrying about my promotion or this, you know, how this person's going to think about me. And that's another thing is, that I've learned also is who do you choose in your world to judge where you are in life or to judge you on who you are? Who are you, who are you giving that power to? Is it people who you want to become like or not?
0: Yeah. Like your internal board of directors, right? Your ability, whether, whether they're here or not here, but you know that you're accountable to them in some way, or you at least want to role model some of their behaviors and use them to help guide your day in and day out. That's great. A couple last ones for you in the theme of the rising digital leader. I like to ask this: How do you rise each day?
1: Yeah, um, that's that's a great question. So because my kids are older and I don't have to take care of them, I have this freedom now, and so I rise. And I pay attention to what am I feeling? So I don't have a routine that I do every day. I know a lot of top athletes, top leaders, You know, they wake up, they do this, this, this. I pause and I really notice what is it that I need and want right now? And sometimes it's a walk. Three times a week I work out with my girlfriends at 6 a.m. and we've been doing that for 10 years. Um, it might be to journal it might be, um, it might be, drink a glass of water and get right to work. But I, I do pause and notice. That would be the thing I'd say is consistent, and then I make a choice about what is going to be best for me for the day. And I love that I now have the freedom to be in choice, and it's not a mechanical thing. Like I'm up, so now I have to do X Y Z A B C D E F. I'm up and I notice where I am. And then I make a choice as to what I'm going to do. Go for a walk either or go to my workout, call my kids, journal, whatever it is. And because I have so much flexibility in my day, whatever I don't do in the morning, I can do throughout the day.
0: I love that. I think just your ability to master presence, that's, so powerful in every element of life. If you can stop, listen to yourself, use that internal guidance system on what you want to do to spend your time. Like talk about powerful leadership skills.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I don't know that I haven't mastered. I don't know that anyone has it mastered, but thank yeah, you for that. Fair point. And I would say I practice it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, given that's how you start your day. it's very admirable. Keep guiding us in, in that. That's wonderful. Lori, with you and, and your company, where can we find you more online?
1: So www.zukinleadership.com, Z-U-K-I-N, leadership.
0: Yeah. Great. And for everyone listening, definitely follow Lori on LinkedIn. She has some amazing inspirational posts that are super practical, too, and stuff like the work with, with Simon Sinek's company and the Stanford work. I mean, that's all amounting to some really impactful stuff in the world. So uh, I'll definitely make sure to include that in the show notes for everyone as well. Any Closing comment you want to leave with our audience here today, Lori?
1: Well, I'm going to leave with um, my favorite quote that's also on my website, and um, it's Viktor Frankl. Um, and if you don't know Viktor Frankl, please look him up. He's a Holocaust survival survivor. And I, you know, I think the quote, it just links back to a lot of the things I've talked about, but it's really, it's between stimulus and response. There is a space. And in that space is our power to choose a response. And in that response lies our growth and freedom. So I hope everyone can, who's listening can have that growth and freedom that they are seeking. So Beautiful. Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure thank to talk to you.
0: You as well. Thanks so much for the time. We'll connect again soon. This is your host, Matthew Doan. Thank you for listening to The Rising Digital Leaders Show. Again, my mission is to help you elevate your career as a digital leader and live a thriving life. I hope this episode sparks new thinking and helps you take meaningful action in your world. If you enjoyed the experience, I'd be so grateful if you subscribed and left a five-star review. That's it for now. Until next time, my friends, stay virtuous.